Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Fernando and I'm a GP in the United Kingdom. We have looked at fictitious patients in previous episodes, but in today's episode I'm going to look at a real diabetic case to see how the guidelines could apply to it. And as you know, we're focusing only on the pharmacological treatment. If you want to download a PDF version of this episode, the link is in the episode description. Please note that I'm not giving medical advice, this is only my interpretation of the guidelines and you must use your clinical judgement. Remember that there's also a YouTube version of these episodes, so have a look in the episode description. Right, so let's get straight into it. The details which have been anonymized belong to a real patient, so we have a 46-year-old man of Asian descent with type 2 diabetes who presents with the following. HbA1c is 68 millimoles per mole or 8.4%, therefore poorly controlled. Cholesterol is 5.9, triglycerides 5.72, HDL 9.7. The path lab has not calculated LDL because triglycerides are more than 4.5. Liver and renal function tests are normal with an EGFR of 97. Thyroid function tests show a borderline low T4 of 9 with a normal range between 9 and 19.1 and a raised TSH of 9.88 with a normal range of 0.35 to 4.94. Albumin creatine ratio is normal and a full blood count and other routine blood tests were also normal. His BMI is 32 so he is obese and his blood pressure is 147 over 89. His past medical history includes hypothyroidism and type 2 diabetes. His regular treatment is with levothyroxine 200 micrograms daily and metformin 500 milligrams three times a day. He comes to discuss his test results, feeling well himself. His obesity is long-standing and being managed with diet and lifestyle advice. He has had hypothyroidism for 15 years and on prompting he says as he's feeling a little tired. So let's have a look at the guidelines. As usual, I will focus on the NICE guidelines and we will have to look at the guidelines on type 2 diabetes, hypertension, prevention of cardiovascular disease and hypothyroidism. Let's look at his diabetes first. Firstly, NICE says that we need to consider if rescue therapy is necessary for symptomatic hyperglycemia with insulin or sulfonylurea. However, this patient is well and asymptomatic so we don't have to do this. We see that his current dose of metformin, 500mg three times a day, is not enough to control his diabetes. So given that his renal function is completely normal, we should increase the dose of metformin to the maximum of 2000mg daily, that is 1000mg twice a day. However, this is unlikely to be enough to bring his HbA1c of 68 or 8.4% to target. And let's remember that according to NICE, we should strive for the following targets. If the patient is on lifestyle management only, the target should be 48 or 6.5%. If they're on a single drug not associated with hypoglycemia, for example metformin, it's also 48 or 6.5%. If the patient is on drug treatment associated with hypoglycemia, such as sulfonylurea, the target should be 53 or 7%. And we should always adjust for people who are frail, elderly or with other comorbidities. This patient is young and otherwise well, so we should aim to treat him aggressively. NICE says that for people not controlled metformin alone, we should consider dual therapy. But which one? 
We need to assess the person's cardiovascular status and risk to determine whether they have chronic heart failure, established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or are a high risk of developing cardiovascular disease. This patient does not have heart failure or cardiovascular disease, but using an online calculator, his 10-year Q-risk-3 score is 12%. So being over 10%, we will consider him as high risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And NICE says, if the patient is at high risk of developing cardiovascular disease, we will consider an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. This is good because it seems quite clear that his obesity is the problem and both metformin and SGLT2 inhibitors promote weight loss. Because we would want to manage him aggressively, I would advise him to increase metformin straight away and as soon as we know that it is tolerated, which could be a matter of days, we could start the SGLT2 inhibitor. SGLT2 inhibitors with proven cardiovascular benefit include dapagliflozin, empagliflozin and canagliflozin. Remember that SGLT2 inhibitors are associated with an increased risk of DKA and lower limb amputation. Therefore, before starting an SGLT2 inhibitor, we need to check whether the person may be at an increased risk of diabetes ketoacidosis. For example, if they have had a previous episode of DKA, they are unwell with intercurrent illness, or they are following a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. And if so, not to start the SGLT2 inhibitor until they have changed the diet. We will also advise them not to start this type of diet while they are on this medication. The increased risk of lower limb amputation has been shown with canagliflozin, but there is some concern that the risk may be a class effect. We will need to ensure that foot care is optimized before starting the SGLT2 inhibitor. So this would be my pharmacological action from a diabetic perspective. Increase metformin to 1000 mg twice a day and start an SGLT2 inhibitor, for example, dapagliflozin, 10 mg daily. Now let's have a look at his blood pressure, which is elevated at 147 over 89. NICE says that people under the age of 80 should have a blood pressure below 140 over 90. To confirm the diagnosis, we should arrange ambulatory or home blood pressure monitoring and if the average is greater than 135 over 85, we will start him on antihypertensive treatment. We have more or less established that he does not have end organ damage because of his normal renal function, normal urinary albumin creatine ratio and, look at his records, normal fundoscopy as he attends for his annual diabetic retinal screening program. To be strict, we should also arrange an ECG to ensure that there are no signs of left ventricular hypertrophy. Let's assume that his blood pressure is indeed above the target. What treatment should we start? NICE says that for somebody with diabetes of any ethnicity and any age, we should start an ACE inhibitor or ARB. We know that ACE inhibitors confer significant renal protection in diabetes, so we will start him on an ACE inhibitor, something like lisinopril 2.5 mg daily, monitoring his renal function and increasing the dose gradually according to our clinical judgment. This patient is of Asian family background, but remember if the patient is of Afro-Caribbean family origin, we should opt for an ARB in preference to an ACE inhibitor. 
This is because Afro-Caribbean patients are considered low renin responders and therefore ACE inhibitors are less effective in this group. Now let's look at his lipids and what we would do based on the NICE guidelines on prevention of cardiovascular disease. Firstly, we will calculate his cardiovascular risk. Using the online QRISC3 calculator, we find that his 10-year risk is 12%. Further details are that the score for a healthy person with the same age, sex and ethnicity would be only 2.6%, therefore the relative risk is 4.6, and his QRISC healthy heart age would be 66. But remember that NICE also says that the cardiovascular risk may be underestimated by risk assessment tools if the triglyceride levels are raised, which is this patient's case. Could this be treated with lifestyle alone? Because we need to treat him aggressively, I would say no. Furthermore, his cholesterol has been elevated for the last three years, so it is clear that diet and exercise alone are not doing the job. Now it says that for primary prevention, if lifestyle modification is ineffective or inappropriate, we will offer a statin, generally a torvastatin 20mg for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease to people who have a 10% or greater 10-year cardiovascular risk using the Q-Risk assessment tool. For people 85 years or older, we will still consider atorvastatin 20mg as statins may be of benefit in reducing the risk of non-fatal MI. Should we do anything different from the point of view of his triglycerides? Well, first of all, we will look to see if they have been this high for long. Previous entries show levels moderately elevated, but not to this degree. Triglycerides are also affected by diabetes control, and it may very well be that once his hyperglycemia improves and his HbA1c goes down, his triglycerides will too. Triglycerides may also be elevated in situations where excess alcohol is consumed, so we should inquire about this. And hyperthyroidism can also influence lipids in general and triglycerides in particular. Improving his hypothyroidism treatment is also likely to improve the lipid situation. Also, atorvastatin will have some effect on the triglycerides, although this effect may not be very pronounced. Other drugs, for example fibrates, such as phenofibrate, are potent agents in reducing triglyceride levels. However, NICE do not recommend their use. In fact, NICE says that for the prevention of cardiovascular disease, we should not offer fibrates, nicotinic acid, bile acid sequestrants or omega-3 fatty acid compounds, either alone or in combination therapy. In summary, I will start him on a tofostatin 20mg daily and recheck his liver test and lipids three months later to see if the triglycerides have improved too. Remember that we aim for a greater than 40% reduction in non-HDL cholesterol and if this target is not achieved, we will consider increasing the dose. And finally, what about hypothyroidism? He has had it for some time and he is on a dose of 200 micrograms daily of levothyroxine but his T4 is still on the low side and his TSH is elevated and he also complains of being tired at times. In terms of management of hypothyroidism, NICE says that we should adjust the dose according to symptoms and thyroid function test results, aiming to maintain TSH and T4 levels to within or close to the normal reference range. We should also review the person and recheck TSH levels every three months after every dose change. 
the BNF says that for adults under 50, the dose adjustments would be in steps of 25 to 50 micrograms every three to four weeks, according to response. However, a little fly in the ointment is that the BNF recommends the maintenance dose to be up to 200 micrograms once daily. And this is precisely this patient's dose. Sometimes patients do need higher doses, but perhaps we should discuss compliance with him, given that it may very well be that he's not taking it regularly, and this is why his test results are not in the normal range. Right, so this would be my initial management of this real-life patient. More metformin, dapagliflozin, lisinopril, atorvastatin, and discuss if increasing levothyroxine is necessary. Remember that this is only my interpretation of the guidelines. We have come to the end of this episode. I hope that you have found it useful. Thank you for listening and goodbye.